0: Second Timothy one seven a spirit of a sound mind a sound mind by the spirit of God that dwells in us now if you uh, you might have different translations that say it differently if you look at the Greek it's what, by sound mind it's it's translated a disciplined or self controlled mind you all have disciplined self controlled minds right awesome <laughs> no. But we're working on it. Okay. That's better. All right. Now, what I believe is that this this one, the sound mind part, is what really balances the power and love part, and uh, we'll talk more as we go on about balancing uh, a spirit of power. Uh, Love, you may be thinking, why do you need to balance that? More love's better, right? Well, we still need a sound mind to balance love. Uh, We need all three. And I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, One time, this is a long time ago, probably 20 years ago, because I was still doing youth ministry, and we had just gotten done with the youth meeting, and it's amazing how many people show up at church needing something right at the end of a meeting. Um, So it's like 9.30, I'm tired, I want to go home, and this young couple shows up, and they want want help, they want money. Uh, I think they wanted a place to stay, and they wanted me to help them give money so they could get a room or something. So, I'm praying, because that's what you should do when you're a pastor, even when you just want to go home. Uh, So, I'm praying, and uh, and God says, don't give them money. So, I'm like, okay, what are you going to do? And He says, help them. Now, I'm confused. So, I'm explaining this to God, because He might not have heard clearly, that they asked for money. You said, don't give them money, but you said, help them. And God essentially goes, yeah. Now, it took me, honestly, maybe it was because it was late. Maybe you're just more clever than I am. It took me a minute or two to figure this out. And I finally figured out, oh, oh, he means means help them with their life. Uh, And so what ended up happening, what he wanted me to do, I ended up sitting down with them, talking with them, finding out that they had family in Kissimmee, but they were estranged from that family, and they had burned some bridges. And I ended up talking to them about bad decisions they'd made in their life and why they needed to not burn those bridges and reconnect with family. Here's some ways you could probably do that. So uh, what God wanted me to do was give them 20 minutes. I did not want, I would, I'm telling you, I would have much preferred to give them 20 bucks (laughs) than 20 minutes and walk out. But that was what God's, the spirit of a sound mind said love was. So we've got all through the Bible, competing principles for love. For example, um, uh, Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. That's love. Paul also says, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's love. Because sometimes people got to learn some stuff, right? So you don't know which one you're doing without the Spirit of God, without a sound mind. And so... uh, we need this. And anyway, but we'll talk about it probably more in the context of power because that's what happens in 1 Corinthians 14. So I want to look at 1 Corinthians 14, but before I do, we need a little better understanding of the church of Corinth. And so I'm going to go back into this same letter. This is a pretty good-sized letter Paul has written. Uh, I think it's 16 chapters in 1 Corinthians. And he starts right off with two things. Uh, first chapter Seventh verse, right away, Paul says, you fall short in no gift. This is a very gifted church. He's talking about spiritual gifts. So they are praying in tongues and prophesying and healing the sick and casting out devils and walking on water, and it's just a lot of fun on Sunday, right? But three verses later, he says, but you're divided. You're very gifted, but you're divided. By chapter 3, he says, because you're divided, you're immature. I can only give you milk. I can't give you solid food because you can't handle the truth, right? And so, uh, he's saying you're gifted, but you're divided, and you're immature. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians 11, where he talks about taking the Lord's Supper, what we just did. And he says, basically, you're selfish. Again, he uses the word division. He says, because of division, because what's happening when you come together for the Lord's Supper, somebody's getting drunk, somebody's not getting anything to eat, you're not waiting for each other, you're not recognizing the body of Christ. You're just being selfish. Don't you have homes to eat in? That's not why you're doing this. It's all right there, 1 Corinthians 11. Feel free to read it. So, what we learned about the church of Corinth is they are very gifted and divided and immature and a bit selfish. Now, I want you to consider what might a church service on any given day look like at a church that was very gifted but divided and immature and selfish. Just take a moment to think about that. Maybe you've attended a church like that. Maybe it's been us. I don't know. You can imagine, yeah? Yeah. So with that in mind, now let's begin to read 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going to start at the end and work our way back uh, because, you know, I can. So let's start with verse 26 because it shows us a picture of what's going on in the Corinthian church with this in mind, with knowing now that we're talking about a very gifted, uh, divided, selfish, immature church. Paul says... I'm going to read, uh, what am I going to read, 26 through 33. Now, there are a couple really interesting things in this chapter that I'm going to specifically not get into because it would be a whole other teaching, so uh, you can ask me later, but I'm going to stop at verse 33. All right, Uh, how is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation? Everybody's got a gift, and everybody's going to let that gift flow. Let all things be done for edification. So right here, Paul's laying it out. Uh, I know you got gifts, but the purpose is not the expression of your gift. The purpose is that the church is edified, okay? And so it says, basically, he's just saying, hey, run it in a little. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret If there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. By the way, it doesn't mean you can't speak in tongues in church. It means if you're going to speak publicly in tongues, it needs to be interpreted. If you don't want to speak publicly in tongues, speak to yourself and to God. If you can hear the person next to you praying in tongues, they're not talking to you. They're talking to themselves and God. It's okay. Okay? This isn't that hard. All right. Um, Where was I? Uh, Speak to himself and God. Let two or three prophets speak and then let others judge. Why would others need to judge? Well, because we're not looking for whether or not that was God. We're looking for is that what God's doing with us, right? And so, two or three prophets. We don't need everybody to prophesy uh, publicly. Um, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let him first keep silent. Sounds like It's not like the prophets are supposed to defer to one another. Wow. I have a whole story about dueling prophets, but I won't even go there. For you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. This, by the way, is the purpose of prophecy, to encourage. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Wait a minute. You mean God doesn't just come on them and they just start talking? They can stop if they want? Wow. That's what Paul seems to be saying here. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. They can decide when they prophesy, whether they prophesy or not, okay? Uh, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Do you think they had maybe some confusion going on with everybody trying to get their song and prophecy and and tongue and interpretation in? I bet they did. So, you see what Paul is addressing here is not that gifts are bad uh, or that gifts are being misused, but that they are uh, they are focused on their gifts, not on the edification of the church. You understand? That's the message here. So, we learned this uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, that we, uh, Paul's, basically, if you just go back to Verse 26, where he says, um, let all things be done for edification. He's prioritizing the edification of the church over individual expression. So do we want you to have spiritual gifts? Yes. Do we want you to be able to express your spiritual gifts? Yes. On Sunday morning, is that the priority? No. The church isn't here for you to express your gift. Your gift is here to edify the church. Right? Right? That goes for everybody, me as well. All right, so uh, that's all Paul is saying here, that the priority is the edification of the church. We learned this in 1 Corinthians 12 when we looked at that, that the gifts are given for the building up of the church, not for dividing the church, which seems to be what was going on in Corinth, but for the building up of the church. Remember I told you when we went through 1 Corinthians 12 that you are literally God's gift to the church, which you can feel free to put on your business card tell people that I'm God's gift to the church. God gave me a spiritual gift, and I use it to edify the church. It's not for me. It's not about me, right? You are God's gift to the church, and so we need to remember that, and this is why Paul ends. He wraps up chapter 14 with verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Decently there, again, the Greek means appropriately or properly. Now, there's a wide range of what's appropriate at any given moment. Sometimes uh, dancing and shouting is appropriate. Like right now, it wouldn't be. If you got up and started dancing and shouting right now, I'd go, dude, not appropriate. <laughs> right? Sometimes it is. Let everything be done decently. Uh, lost my, oh yeah, Appropriately, properly, and in order. And order just means arrange or with good discipline. So it just means have a sound mind. Now, he's not saying that you better have an order of service and follow it, right? right? He's saying whatever God's order is, it's order. Follow that. So this is, I really want us to learn about this, and I really want to lay a stage for what our, our intentions are here. So I'm going to talk about three options we have in how we do this, how we do the gifts in a service. Now, the first option, and some churches have done this, and it sounds like Corinth kind of was, is everybody's free, everybody has the Holy Spirit, do whatever the Spirit's saying, do whatever you want, the microphone's open, uh, jump up, prophesy in the middle of teaching, do a song, whatever. Uh, Let's just call that crazy, okay? Why is that crazy? Now, again, do you all have the Spirit? Yes. Do you all have gifts? Yes. Can you all prophesy and sing and do all that stuff? Yes. But it's crazy for this reason. It doesn't edify the church, and here's why. God doesn't... He's amazing. He's not doing the same thing with all of us all at the same time. We have a person over here maybe repenting, and a person over here maybe rejoicing, and a person over here maybe getting prophetic revelation, and and then maybe someone gets healed, and if they all come to the mic, and they all put their thing on the church, well, now we have a church service where we're trying to simultaneously be healed, rejoice, repent, and prophesy. That's a little schizophrenic <laughs> <laughs> or quadraphenic. Good. That's crazy, isn't it? And so that's why we don't just go do whatever you want, because you end up with a church in court. So crazy is an option. Uh, <laughs> but but let's not. Um, and he, Now, here's the thing. Uh, we, we have a, an elder at the mic all the time. He's not there to tell you whether or not you heard God. We assume that whatever is going on with you is probably God. He's there to determine if what's going on with you needs to be brought to the congregation, and it needs to be the order for the moment in the room. So sometimes you're validly have stuff going on from God, but the elder's going to go, yeah, but I I don't think that's for right now. Or maybe we'll do that at the end, or that's a good testimony, but I don't want to interrupt what's going on in worship. So we're looking for order that's God's order, not just what God's doing with you. Does this make sense? Again, it's not that hard, uh, but sometimes it is, depending on who you're dealing with. Okay, so (laughs) it doesn't need to be that hard. (sighs) All right, everybody still like me? So, now the remedy to too much crazy is just to go to the other side of the coin. Leaders will be in charge. Leaders will tell you what God's doing. I'm here. I will tell you when service starts. I will tell you when service ends. And uh, we're all good. And this works pretty well. You don't get a lot of crazy. And everyone gets out in time to go to lunch. And uh, the band knows exactly when they're done, right? Right? The only problem is what you don't get a lot of in that situation, and let's just call that method control, and the more control you put in, probably the less spontaneous activity of the Holy Spirit you're going to have, and here's why, and it's very simple. If I'm in control, well, if the church has many gifts uh, there those are, that's many funnels God can pour His Spirit through for the activity of the kingdom. If I'm in control and I'm controlling the service, how many funnels does God have? One. It's a very narrow funnel. It's my gifting and my calling, and that's all you're going to get, right? And so, if we do that, if we exercise a lot of control, we're going to end up with, Uh, probably more me, and, 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 you know, there's still Holy Spirit, you're still going to get some good stuff, but you're not going to get necessarily all the things that God wants to do because I've narrowed His funnel to me. You understand what I'm saying? So, I don't recommend that we do crazy or control. I think both of those have downsides, and there's something in between. The in-between I'm going to call community, and here's what community looks like. Community is when uh, we all have gifts, but we get to know each other. We learn about one another's gifts. We defer to one another. We work together. I, for example, know that all the people on the stage can sing, and and we don't put people up there that can't, for I, I would think that would be an obvious reason, right? So we get to know people, and we let them operate in their gifts and we help them, and we work together. This whole community thing requires that we actually learn each other and trust each other and work together. And we still have leadership, but the leadership is trying not to be super controlling. The leadership trying to leave some latitude for expression of different gifts. And now what we'll get is more than just what can come through my funnel. Some of it can come through your funnel. But we're still going to exercise a level of control, i.e., the person at the mic, so that we have some order and we're trying to, together as a community, find what God's doing. And I'm not just talking about community in the sense of we're a committee and we're voting on it. I'm talking about we're all in Him together, worshiping, trying to hear God together, and so we're each bringing our little part. In my experience, I've done a lot of team ministry uh, throughout the years, and my experience is the best stuff that happens has often been uh, no one had the whole picture. Uh, this I had a little bit here, and a little bit here, and a little bit here, and a little bit here. And as I put those things together, I went, oh, I see what God's doing. But I didn't have the whole picture, right? This is community. And this is what we're after. Just so you know, this is what we're after at Church on the Rock. We don't want to be crazy. We don't want to be controlling. We want a community where we're going for it with the gifts, but we're, we're prioritizing edifying the church. And so what this means, and I'll I'll put it this way, uh, our policy, here's our policy. This is our official policy for Church on the Rock. Are you ready? It's a two-part policy. It's very simple. One, go for it as hard as you can, gifts and all. Two, don't be any weirder than you have to be. (laughs) That's it. That's our policy. Now I have to say that, and again, I'm not afraid of weird. I've seen weird. I've preached while some while a guy was back there laying between the aisles, sounded like he was having a baby. It was the Holy Spirit. It was God. I just kept going. I'm not afraid of weird, but I don't want hype. I don't want us developing affectations that appear or that are designed to make things look more spiritual or a Holy Spirit helper. Well, we'll just, we'll just start adding syllables and speaking in King James English, and maybe God will get on that. If you don't speak in King James English at home, don't do it here. If you do it at home, then it's okay. But I'll ask your kids. You understand what I'm saying? Go for it. Don't be any weirder than you have to be. Here's the thing. Uh, Weird does happen. God does do weird stuff. I mean, uh, you know, when he was rubbing mud in the guy's eyes to heal his eyes, people are probably looking at each other going, that's weird. I've never seen seen a rabbi do that. But he did. And uh, once the guy could see again, the weird was okay. Rub mud in my eyes, whatever. (laughs) Right? So I've been in a lot of revival meetings where weird happened. Sometimes it was God. Sometimes it was the devil. Sometimes it was the flesh. Right. Now, here's the tricky part. You could not tell the difference most of the time just by looking or listening. You had to discern by the Spirit of God. That one's God. That one, that person just wants attention. That one's, oh, that one's really cast something out of that person, right? And it took discernment. And took a team, and that's why we don't make rules about what weird is okay and what weird isn't okay. We're not going to make rules. If your weird isn't okay, we'll talk to you. <laughs> this is harder, but rules are control. Talking to people is pastoring, that's right. and so we will pastor you. Uh, and uh, and we're all, and you know our. I mean, you know, my weird grid's pretty narrow. Your weird grid might be real wide, (laughs) right? You understand what I'm saying? So, this sound mind thing is important. And the way we get there, the way we get God's order and understand God's order at any given time might be different things, uh, requires prioritizing Him and His church, not individuals. We will honor you. We will love you. But when we gather together, the priority is Jesus. Jesus, what do you want? What are you doing in his church? Jesus, how are you building up your church today? Amen? And then you just need to bring your gift into that with that attitude. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, absolutely be zealous for spiritual gifts. Let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Very simple, isn't it? Zealous for spiritual gifts, so the church is built up and for no other reason. Okay. That's that pretty much does the self-control, but there's an interesting thing in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 14 that I do want to get into. Um, Again, we have that segue verse like we did between 12 and 13. Uh, in verse 1, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, Paul says, Pursue love. That's 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Um, Desire spiritual gifts. That's chapter 12. So he's bringing those chapters back in. And then it says, but especially that you may prophesy. He doesn't say especially, you know, all the gifts. He, he isolates this one and says, especially this one. And so it's good to ask why. Why prophecy? And, uh, and to answer that. So I'm glad you asked. I'm going to answer. Um, why prioritize prophecy? And what we're going to find right away in the next couple of verses is the purpose of prophecy is to build up, to encourage, and to comfort. That's clearly stated. I'm going to read it to you in just a minute. It's inarguable. That's what prophecy is for. So if you've gotten another idea of prophecy, or if you're one of those guys who really likes the Old Testament And you're hoping that God's going to make you lay on your side naked someday. And, uh, you know, all that stuff. And you like calling down fire from heaven and, you know, prophesying judgment on nations and all that. You should, you're probably born out of time. And New Testament prophecy is about, well, let's just read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. But he who prophesies speaks edification... And exhortation and comfort to men. Right? That's the purpose. It's very simple. That's what prophecy is for, it's to build people up because God is really into building up His church. Doesn't mean that people aren't going to accurately prophesy events or catastrophes or bad things. Uh, It means that the primary purpose of it is to build up His church. And we need to understand that or we won't understand how prophecy works. Now, he goes on in verse 4 to say, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. What's the goal? Is he saying edifying the church? Is he saying don't speak in tongues? No. In fact, he says later, don't forbid to speak in tongues. It's okay to edify yourself, speak in tongues. We had a prayer meeting Thursday night. At one point, all six of us were speaking in tongues real loud. You could hear it right out loud like they didn't even care. Because there weren't any unbelievers in the room, and we all knew what we were doing, and that was the order of the moment. We're probably not going to do that this morning because sound mind. You understand? Not that hard. So, Paul's just saying prophecy builds up the church. So, and Paul goes on in this chapter to say, I speak in tongues a bunch, and I want you guys to also. But in church, I want to build people up. I want them to be able to understand what's going on. Again, not that hard, right? So Paul's saying it's about edifying the church. Now, before we answer why we prioritize or why Paul and God prioritizes prophecy, uh, let me remind you of something that we already talked about. When we first start talking about 1 Timothy 2:7, remember I told you this verse, God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, is, is sandwiched between two verses talking about Timothy's gifting and calling. In other words, it's about calling. Paul's basically saying, Timothy, remember your calling and don't let fear or intimidation push you off of your calling. You haven't been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And we talked about what a big deal calling is, to God. In fact, we went back and looked at Elijah in 1 Kings 19. Remember Elijah, uh, the prophet, goes to Mount Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven on the burnt offering. It's very impressive. He has 850 prophets killed. Also very impressive. Uh, it hasn't rained for three and a half years, and, and now he says it's going to rain, and it starts to rain. Very impressive. He beats a chariot, 20-mile run back to Jezreel. He runs faster than the horses, uh, still the world record, all that stuff. We talked about all that. He gets there. uh, Jezebel sends him a note, and he goes immediately into a suicidal depression, right? You remember, he goes out in the wilderness, and he talks to God, and God doesn't really address his suicidal depression. God says, do these three things. God essentially re-engages his calling, and God will do that with us continually. We'll repent. Oh, God, I'm sorry I screwed up again. He'll go, great, I forgive you. Hey, remember your calling. Let's re-engage that. Calling is a big deal to God. God wants us all functioning in our calling. He wants us all functioning in our partnership with him. This is why Paul said in Philippians 3, hey, I don't have it all together. I haven't arrived, but one thing I do I forget those things that are behind, and I press on or forward toward the goal of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul goes, I just keep forgetting my mistakes and chasing my calling. And that's good advice for us as well. So I want to remind you, we talked about this a lot in the first teaching about what a big deal calling is to God because Spoiler alert, that's why prophecy is a big deal. Okay. Now, that being said, let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. I want to read 23 through 25, okay? Paul says, therefore, and he, again, this is in the context of why prophecy is prioritized. Uh, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and they uh, come in, those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Crazy. Right? See, it's biblical. Crazy church. Yeah? They're going to come in, everyone's speaking, no one understands, it's loud, and there you know, these people are out of their mind, and I'm out the door, I'm a, I think I'm in a cult, I should run away. Right? Even though that would, speaking in tongues, totally biblical. Right? So Paul's not recommending that. He says, but if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an unenforced person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. So, this is interesting. He comes in, people start telling him about his life. It's like, well, that's different. I don't know, you know, I'm an unbeliever, I maybe don't know about God, but that guy just told me stuff he can't know about me. That's kind of impressive, right? And so, Paul is recommending this, and then he says something interesting. And this is where we may get hung up. Um, In verse 25, he says, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So Paul's just saying prophecy is better because people get built up, and uh, it does something. But let's make sure we understand what it does, okay? Okay. And the key here is the secret of his heart. Now, because we tend towards the negative, have you noticed that, human nature? We tend to kind of go towards the negative. We tend to go towards God is mad at me, even though God can't say it enough how much he loves us, right? So, when we see the phrase, uh, the secrets of their heart are revealed, what first comes to mind? Put it this way. If I put on the sign out front, this Sunday prophetic ministry, secrets of heart will be revealed. Does attendance go up or down? Down. Down. What is everybody afraid of? Yeah. Being exposed. Now, is that your sin, and we all have issues, is your issue really a secret of your heart? No. You want it to be, you just don't want it to be, you like it to be a secret to the rest of our hearts. I hear you right? But you know about that. And by the way, how many of you would go to a church service and, uh, because it says the result here is they fall down and worship God and say God is among you. How many of you go to a church service, a prophet gets up, tells everyone in public all your sin, and your first response is, praise God, hallelujah, God is among you guys. Does this not sound counterintuitive? All right, so I want you to see Again, this is not the purpose of prophecy, and this is not what he means by secret of hearts. So we should find out what it is, but let me just make sure you understand. Uh, Secrets of heart is not correction. It is not. The reason I know that is because Proverbs 17.9 says, he who covers a transgression seeks love. And I know that the Spirit of God seeks love, and so he will probably cover transgressions. In fact, the only time He reveals our transgressions is for our good, to bring us to repentance. Uh, In fact, Matthew 18 lines that out. Uh, There's a point, there's a place for publicly addressing someone's sin. But the purpose of that is not to expose them. The purpose of that is nothing else worked to get them to repent. You're trying to save them. And what are the two steps that must come before that? Go to them alone. Go to him with someone else. Do you see the intention of the heart there? God's not trying to expose. God's trying to get repentance. He starts with the easy way. Go to him alone. Take one other person. This is a last resort. By the way, Matthew 18 is not suspended when you're online. If you haven't gone to the person, don't expose their stuff. So we get God's heart here, uh, secrets of heart is not correction, it's not what, God, it's not what Paul's talking about. In fact, uh, I love, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Two of those, correction and reproof, are, you know, correction, right? So prophecy is given for encouragement, right? Scripture is given for correction. If we start using prophecy for correction, we're getting the cart before the horse. I'm not saying that you might not get revelation of someone's issues so that you can help them. I'm saying you better have scripture. In fact, I was I was talking to a woman, we were up in North Carolina, and we we're praying. This woman we are there was a group praying for her. And she was distressed, and she's—you could see the weight on her. And she's crying. She's had these prophetic words, and she doesn't know what to do with them. And uh, and I go, was it was it were they correcting you? And she's you know nodding her head and crying. I said, did they use scripture? And she goes, no. I said, well, look, 1 Corinthians fourteen three. Here's what prophecies for. Second Timothy three sixteen. Here's what Scripture's for. I said, I'm pretty sure if they didn't use Scripture, you could ignore it. And all of a sudden, she smiled. You get it? Because how can I repent if I don't have something specific to repent of? Give me a verse. You know? And then I go, oh, yeah. Anyway, uh, that was just extra. That's free. I want you to understand what the secrets of heart is not so we can understand what it is, because it is something pretty cool. Thankfully, we have an example in the Old Testament where almost the same phrase is used, and Paul, being a student of the Old Testament, may have been aware of this, may even have been thinking about this when he used the phrase secrets of our hearts. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 9. You remember uh, Saul... Young man, who's going to be the first king in Israel, had lost his donkeys. Couldn't find his donkeys with both hands, right? So uh, one person got that. All right. Um, anyway, so he can't find his donkeys, and he says, I, I'm going to go find the seer. Maybe the seer, the prophetic guy, Samuel, will know where my donkeys are. So that's the story here. At, at this point, he's just a guy who looks for donkeys. He is nothing impressive, okay? Okay. Except for he's real tall and real pretty. We do know that. He's tall, pretty, donkey searcher. That's his job. Verse 19. Samuel answered Saul and said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place. You shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and will tell you all that is in your heart. This sounds like the same language, doesn't it? We should go to the next chapter and see what uh, Samuel told Saul. Well, here's what he told him in chapter 10. Now, let's keep this in mind. Saul uh, felt very insignificant. As Samuel started talking to him, Saul reminded Samuel, hey, I am an insignificant family, Uh, I'm from an insignificant family in the smallest tribe in Israel, why are you talking to me like this? And when Saul went to anoint Samuel, where was Samuel? Anybody remember? Hiding in the luggage. He was afraid. So, Samuel is prophesying to this insignificant, fearful young man and tells him he's going to be king, right? That was telling him the desires of his heart. Did he know that was the desire of his heart? No, it was a secret revealed by prophecy. And then I love in 1 Samuel 10 verse 6, it says then, it says after this happens, you're going to go this place and some prophets are going to come down prophesying and you're going to join them and prophesy with them, and uh, which happened. And then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. not only is... Saul's, or is Samuel's prophetic word calling him to his calling as king, which was a secret of his heart that he didn't know, he's also imparting something, some gifting, calling and gifting through that prophetic word. You're going to be changed into another man. God's called you to this, He's going to equip you to do it. Now we know it didn't end well, Saul made some bad decisions, but he was called and changed into another man and equipped to do this. Uh, Remember in 1 Timothy 4, sometimes prophetic words not only call, but they also impart. Paul said, Timothy, uh, don't neglect the gift that is in you by prophecy. Remember, we prophesied that over you and stirred up that gift that's in you. So this is what prophecy does. Now we're starting to get a picture of why God says especially prophecy, because prophecy calls out gifting. Prophecy can impart uh, gifting and calling, all right? And so what I want you to see from this secrets of your heart thing is not that God's revealing bad stuff, that the purpose of prophecy is to call out hidden treasure in hearts, stuff that's in hearts that people don't know is in their own heart. Hey, I think God's called you in this way. I think you can do this, I want to pray for you. I feel like God wants to impart gifting to you. That kind of thing. Does that make sense? Does that sound more biblical? I think that's what Paul's talking about. I think this is the reference he was using. So, why, to answer the question, why prioritize prophecy? Because prophecy moves people toward their calling. That's its purpose, to move people toward their calling. And when people get a hold of their calling, The church is built up. Ephesians 4.16. We looked at this a few weeks ago. That it says that the church edifies itself in love when each part does its share. Everybody does their calling. We have community. Not crazy, not control. Community. Every part does its share. The church edifies itself in love. And we're built up. That's what we're after. That's why Paul wants prophecy. So I say... I say all of you should prophesy. I am not afraid of that. Everybody prophesy. With this caveat, learn to do it with a sound mind. Balance our gifts with a sound mind. We learn that from the Spirit of God. We have been given a spirit of power. We've been given a spirit of love. And we've been given a spirit of a sound mind. So we don't have to be any weirder than we have to be. (laughs) Just be yourself. Amen? All right. Uh, shall we go for it then? Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. Let's have the band up. we got a few minutes. Uh, and I think I want to pray for you, and we'll worship a little bit, see what God's up to. Um, we're going to do, in a couple of weeks, we're going to do something interesting uh, to kind of apply this, but I'll tell you more about that later. Um, my goal, I hope you're getting it. What I'm trying to do is lay out uh, parameters for freedom. Uh, but you have to use the freedom. You know? And so I uh, want to encourage you, just as we, as we worship, as we, as we pursue God, as we pursue the gifts of the Spirit, uh, you know, have freedom. If you want to come up and worship up front, if you want to stay where you are. Uh, not, one isn't more spiritual than another, but uh, you can be led by the Spirit in small ways. Uh, absolutely, want to encourage you this morning. Hey, maybe you're thinking, "Hey, I, uh, I haven't, you know, prophetically encouraged someone in a long time, or maybe I never have." Ask God, "Hey, God, maybe somebody'll stand out to you." Now, uh, we give you liberty. What we do here's our rules on this. Uh, even if you're like brand new, we don't care. Uh, you can always prophetically encourage someone. Just, just understand that we know in part. What we prophesy in part, and your offering, you're not thrusting it upon them. Don't use us, saith the Lord. Just say, "Here's what I think God said." And uh, we do ask if it's going to be predictive, or corrective, uh, or directive. Like quit your job and take another job. That's kind of heavy. Uh, that you maybe get an elder or uh, someone from the ministry team to go with you, as we want to oversee stuff like that. So again, not that hard. Simple parameters. Uh, so, with that in mind, uh, as we begin to worship, if somebody stands out to you. Go pray for him. If God tells you something encourage him, encourage him. Uh, we could we could actually do this today in the last 15 minutes. We could edify the church. Uh, the church could edify itself in love. And I don't even have to be involved. I could just sit up here and mind my own business. Isn't that cool? No? Yes? Kind of? Not sure? All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the spirit of power. Lord, that we can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to your power that works in us. Lord, you have equipped us with a spirit of love that we can tap into your heart and love people from your perspective, and you've given us a spirit of a sound mind, Lord, that we can understand, that we can listen to you, and we can understand what you are trying to accomplish to build up individuals or a group around us. So we just ask for that. We ask for you to mature us in all of this. or we ask for you to knit us together by what every joint supplies so that we'll be edifying ourselves, building each other up. Lord, I pray you would make this room and home churches and uh, small groups and all those things. I pray you'd make them places where people feel free or to try, to fail, to make mistakes, and to be encouraged, to be built up. Lord, where people come in and feel encouraged. Where we thank you that you have given us a spirit of prophecy, a spirit of encouragement. Where we understand your heart. So Lord, we just pray this morning as we go into worship when uh, i pray stir up the giftings and the callings stir up the spirit of prophecy father i pray it would leak out of the church we would find ourselves prophetically encouraging people that don't even know you and lord they would fall down in worship and say god is among us